right. Well, you should have a Bible now, right? Go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. And uh, we're in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to actually finish up chapter 2 today, and uh, next week we'll head into chapter 3. So the book of Revelation, I will turn there with you. As a reminder, I was in the book of 1 Corinthians. Our, our Sunday school classes are going strong, and would love to have you be part of that. If you don't have a Sunday school class, um, we were, ours is teaching on 1 Corinthians. So uh, it's been a fun, fun time. All right, so we are in the book of Revelation, and we're, we're going through a series um, here called uh, The Seven Churches of Revelation. And, and we're finding that, that as we look through these letters, these are letters from the Lord Jesus through the Apostle John to the churches in, uh, in, in and around uh, the world. But these seven churches here in, um, are receiving these letters, and, and then they're all hearing what the other letters said to the other churches as well, just as, as a way of a warning and a way of what Christ is admonishing. And I, I mention this constantly, that this is like that report card, right? It's that report card of how are we doing, and we need to, we need to take that seriously. And, and when I mention that, you know, we have this report card, we're walking home, it's sealed, we can't see it, our parents are going to get it, or maybe it got sent home. And, and the reason we're kind of trepidatious about that or nervous about that is because it matters in relationship what our parents think, right? It matters. And maybe you'd say, well, it doesn't matter to me, but you still have to live with them, so you have to endure what matters to them. But at the core of a good family, you, it does matter to you what your parents think. I mean, it, it certainly mattered to me, and I know it, it matters, like, it, do they approve? Are they okay with this? Do they, do they accept me? That's all part of the human condition and psyche, right? But we, we, it does matter. So as we approach the scriptures today, as we approach these letters from the Lord Jesus, my hope and prayer is this, that it would matter to me what the Lord Jesus thinks. It would matter to me what he says and what he instructs to me and to you. That, that we would think that this actually matters. And that what Jesus says should be the authority and the, and the first and final authority for you and I. And as we look at this church today in Thyatira, um, there's some pretty crazy stuff going on there. It's almost like the book of 1 Corinthians. These Christians are kind of going wild. And, and today as we look at this church, uh, there are some great uh, approvals there, some great like encouragement to the church, but there's also some some deep reproof. And, and you and I need to be aware of this, and I've said this multiple times through this series, that as we look at the churches, the seven churches in Revelation, we should be looking at them in a large sense of like, okay, church, what does the church need to hear from Jesus? And then in a small sense, what do we individually need to hear from the Lord Jesus? What, what might we be dealing with? See, the church here may not deal with any of this as a, as a church right now, right? Uh, but you might be individually dealing with this, or maybe you dealt with the things that were going on in Ephesus. So individually and personally, how are we called to then repent and turn back to our first love or turn back to faith and hold on fast to Jesus? So we'll be looking at that more and more. As we went through these churches, just briefly, we answered, um, or, or we, we knew some statements about Jesus, the I know statements, right? And it was really telling because we know that he knows and, and part of it is encouraging, right? He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm suffering. He knows what it's like. But part of it's discouraging because he knows, right? He knows what's going on inside our heart. And, and the first church we looked at in Ephesus, he, he knew what and who you really love. He knows. He knows what and who you really love. He knows, the next church, uh, what you're willing to suffer for. And what you're willing to not suffer for. He knows. He knows what you really believe. That's what we looked at last week. He knows what you really believe. 
He knows the doctrines and theologies that might be creeping in. He knows what you really believe. And today, we look at Thyatira, and as he knows them, he knows what they are willing to tolerate. He knows what they are willing to tolerate. Now, Thyatira is a small town, about 40 miles from Pergamum. And in the smallest town, the smallest church, uh, we see the longest letter written from the Lord Jesus to this church. Thyatira was famous for its trade guilds and specifically for its dye, its purple dye. And in fact, you see in, in uh, Philippians, this church that started actually in an Acts, it was started, uh, you see the, the woman Lydia, who was converted by Paul, was a purple cloth dealer from Thyatira, right? And, and in that conversion, she had ties to Thyatira and to Philippi, and then this church started in Philippi, but she was a dealer of purple cloth, and that's where this was really really big, this, uh, in the trade guilds, especially purple dye and purple cloth. So we see Lydia there. Uh, and so as, as we also see that there's, of course, uh, worship in, within, the, within the trade guilds. If you're part of these guilds, there was always, and we've seen in other letters, there's this, uh, this position that you needed to compromise. You needed to, to offer your sacrifices to the gods of these trade guilds and, and pay homage to them, right? And some of these places were stronger than others. Some of this you saw the, the empire, the emperor cult uh, where they, you had to put the incense on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord, right? And some, some were more passionate about that. And if you didn't do that, you couldn't be a part of a guild. Here we see Christians maybe weren't as persecuted here as other places for that, but they were still participating in the guilds. And we'll see what happens here uh, in a few minutes. So we're going to be in Revelation 2, and it, we're picking up this, uh, the letter in verse 18. We're going to read all of it through verse 29. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get right into it, all right? Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to look to your word today. God, I pray that your spirit would be in our midst. That God, as, as the word goes forth, that God, it would not return void. That you would, you would do with it as you please. That God, you would open our hearts and our minds. That God, you would convict us of sin. God, you would move us to a place of repentant faith, of total trust in you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you have done and who you are. We thank you that you are trustworthy. God, as we are here today, we, we come with all different positions and stances and thoughts on different issues. God, may we humble our hearts to the Lord Jesus today. May, may we be people who say, God, you know what we're willing to tolerate. And, and God, we want to not be tolerant of things you're not tolerant of. We want to align ourselves with you. Help us to do that today, Lord. We offer this time to you and we praise you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. 
and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of, of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers uh, and the one who keeps my, my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and he will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Can be frightening, can't it? So today we look at the church in Thyatira, and the title uh, today is The Adulterous Church. The Adulterous Church. Uh, again, we have three sections we'll cover. We'll cover the approval, like what did, what did Jesus say is, is good about this? Then we'll look at the accusation, like what did he say was going wrong? And then we'll look at the ad, admonition, the, the encouragement to what to do next, okay? So today we're going to start right into it, the approval. Here's what Jesus says is the approval. Uh, you have enduring faith, work, and love. You have enduring faith, work, and love. This is how this church was approved. If you look at verses 18 and 19. Write to the, church, or to the angel to the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. Verse 19, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. Uh, for all the bad we're going to see here in Thyatira, we need to understand that Jesus is saying, well done. Like, like this, this church has it better than other churches. Has it going on better and more faithful than other churches? Yeah, he says, you have faithfulness, you have service, endurance, your love, your agape love is there. It's, it's all there. You haven't lost your first love. And it says, not, not only is it there, it's growing, right? He says that, that I know your last works, your most current works are better and bigger than your previous works. Like, it, you're getting better at this. So when we look at this, I, I need you to understand, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying, like, look bad, how bad you are, church, and Jesus doesn't just say that. He says, listen, I know that there is always a remnant. There is always a people who are saying, I want to be faithful to the end. I want to be faithful to the end. I want to be faithful to the end. And I'm going to love and serve and support and have faith uh, in, in my life and in, in my uh, witness. So he knows that. And he, he, he approves of that. He says, yes, you're doing a great thing. But we obviously are going to see an accusation here against those in this church. Even those who have strong faith, even those who have strong works and service, have strong love, he's going to say there's something amiss. And we need to catch that in a few minutes. Before we do, though, I want to look at verse 18. I want us to see how he sets the stage here. Because whenever he opens his statement of, of this is who's talking to you, it has to do with what's going on at that church and within that community. He says, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this, thus says the Son of God. Now let's talk about that for a minute. The Son of God, how he addresses himself. Now, in that culture, uh, Caesars would have, would have attributed themselves as sons of the gods. And, he, and even Juli, uh, not Julius, uh, Caesar um, Augustus, when he had he written a letter, he would written Caesar, uh, son of the god Julius. Right? So these people thought very highly of themselves, right? I mean, if you think I'm Caesar, I'm son of a god, I, I'm obviously divine. My father was divine. I'm something special and important. They actually had here in Thyatira the, uh, a temple to uh, Apollos, right? The sun god. So as Jesus, the son of God, is, is commenting, he's like to say, listen, I know you think, and they think highly of themselves, but just remember what? 
I'm the begotten of God. I am God of God. I am the begotten. I am the Messiah. There is no one greater than me as the Son of God. He also mentions this Son of God uh, and, and, and claims a Davidic covenant with that. And I want to read a couple things out of Second uh, Samuel and then out of Psalms. Second Samuel, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make, you, make a house for you. This is the Davidic covenant. This is saying to David, listen, that out of your line is going to be something important. He said, when your time comes uh, and, the rest, uh, uh, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you a descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we're not just talking about Solomon or other, other sons. We're talking about uh, eventually the Lord Jesus. This is the house and line of Jesus. Verse 14 says in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7, uh, I will be his father and he will be my, what's the language here, son, right? There's a sonship here. So, so not only is he saying, listen, I have authority over Caesar, son of the god Julius, and I have authority over Apollos, the sun god. He says, remember me, remember our Jewish heritage, our roots, remember Israel, this is who I am. I'm the, the son that was promised as the Messiah from the Father in heaven. I am the son Psalm 2, we see that, right? If he, if he is king and Messiah, then, then the question is this. Why are their hearts running amok? Why are their hearts going astray? And that's a question that's answered, asked and answered in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, why? It starts with why. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? This happens all around us. Everyone wants to set up their own authority, their own system. They want to plot and say, we're better than you. You've got to accept our, our way. Why do they plot in vain? The kings of the earth that take their stand and the rulers, they conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. So we're talking about this Davidic Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and they, they're taking their stand and conspiring against the Lord. And they say, let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. They, they feel like they're bound and restricted by the Lord, by, by God. Let's throw their chains off. Verse 4 says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Right, you think you can throw the thing, you think you can throw them aside? No. He laughs, and the Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed, he says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. Who are these kings compared to Jesus? No one. No one. They're nothing. So now, it says, kings, so now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment, but all who take refuge in him are happy. This is powerful, powerful language. When Jesus says, thus says the one who's the Son of God, thus says the Son of God, he's saying, listen, I'm the Messiah, and anyone that plots against me does so in vain. It's time to come to me and be happy and find your rest in me, take refuge in me. Because if you do not take refuge in me, you will find yourself in judgment and perishing in your rebellion. 
He is the Son, and He is the King. He is the Messiah, and He burns against sin and rebellion. And that's the next description in verse 18. Thus says the Son of God, who's, uh, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. We see this in other places, but this eye is like fiery flame. Listen, he's the one who looks and pierces and knows. His eyes can refine and, and cut through all of the fog that you think is in the way. That's why he can say, I know you. I know what's in your heart. I look and I can see and I know you. So there is, there is judgment there. There is, there is a, a purity and a holiness with that. And then you see this bronze, the idea of bronze. This, it, it, it symbols strength, but it also sim- symbols this fine bronze, this pure bronze, that he is absolutely pure in all his ways. Now, for you and I, it's really important to get this. <clears throat> because when we start talking about the accusation, when we start seeing Jesus say, listen, you're messing up in this way. This comes from the Lord, the King, the Messiah, who is absolutely the one who can judge justly, and he is absolutely pure. So in his holiness, what he says goes. What he says is right. What you and I insist on isn't always that right that way, right? We, we can insist on things. We can let things in. We can tolerate things that aren't actually in line with God's holy justice. And this is the Lord calling us to account on that. So he sets this picture up. It's a brilliant picture of who he is. We see the description of the one whose eyes are like fiery flame, whose feet are like bronze, burnished in the fire. We're made to remember and think about his holiness. And, and, and we must get a sense, and this church must get a sense. When Imagine that, that. That letter starts, hey, thus says the one who's the son of God with fiery eyes and, and burnished bronze. They're like, uh-oh. Hold on, this is going to get a little bumpy in a minute. But it was great because he started with an a, with a approval. Like, I, I know you. I know your works. I know your love. I know it's enduring. But still, uh, the, this, this imagery we see it in Daniel 10, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of the multitude. Isaiah 59, indeed the Lord's arm is not too weak to say. I love this, this imagery of the strength of bronze, the purity of bronze. But in, even in that, as he burns against, in his purity, he burns against sin and rebellion. He says, listen, I'm still mighty to save. I want to be a refuge for those uh, and, and, and be, at, be at peace uh, for those who are refuge in me. He says, indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save or his ear too deaf to hear. But, but. Your iniquities, my iniquities, our sin are separating you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not listen. Uh, God is still there. His eyes like fire, his, his, his purity like pure bronze. But in our sin, we turn away and, oh, I don't want to see it. I don't want him, I, I don't want him to pierce me. But he is. He still sees us. He still knows. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your Tongues mutter injustice. No one makes claims justly. No one pleads honestly. They trust in empty and worthless words. They conceive trouble and give birth to iniquity. Listen, this is the Lord Jesus. He, he certainly peers in with his refining flames and he sees sin. But he's, he's calling us to repent, to turn to him, to trust in him, to, to be 
holy. And, and listen, he is not in that strength and holiness and purity. He is not too weak to save. And even as he sees sin all around, he still sees and knows they have an enduring faith, right? Their love for him and their love for each other along with their faith, along with their works and their endurance, they were all growing and they were to be commended for that. Their works, listen, and this is so important to get, here's what Jesus sees, their works are not the root of their faith. They are the fruit of their faith. Do you get the difference there? Right? If we were in a works righteousness system, a way we earned our, our keep, works would have to be the root of our faith. But because he is mighty to save and he is, he is quick to forgive and he show compassion on us when we repent and turn to him in faith, when we have faith in him, the works, our endurance, our love as it grows would be fruit of our salvation, of our faith. We see that in Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is what this church had. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's no rule or law against those things. This church had that. And, and why? The question is why? Because at least the ones he's talking about, this remnant that, that weren't caught up in this idolatry and this immorality, this remnant, they held on to Jesus. They held on to him. Why? Because they knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew he was the King of Kings. They knew he was the just and righteous judge. They knew that apart from him, they could do and be nothing. We see that in John 15. Jesus says, remain in me. And I in you, just as a branch, is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. This is, this is where this, this approval comes from. There, there, there's Christians there, a church there, who, who believes and trusts and embraces the covenant nature and promise of God, who, who lets that salvation be, uh, become rooted in them so much that it produces a fruit in line with that salvation, with that great God. They, that, and Jesus says, I know and I see it. I know your faith is real. I know that you're rooted in me. I know you're attached to me. I know that you know without me you can do nothing because you're producing a fruit and it's, it's seen there. So we see in this opening part that Jesus is, is king. Jesus sees all. He, Jesus is pure. And he is the king that is worthy to hold on to. He is the king that is worthy of our worship. And the church in Thyatira would be encouraged and reminded of the kind of God that he is. He is a God who is faithful to keep the promises he made to Abraham and to David. And now they're reminded about that. They're like, oh, yeah. Don't we need that sometimes? A reminder in the middle of, of life, in the middle of, of the, the hecticness of what's going on all around us, don't we need to be reminded about God's goodness, about God's faithfulness, about God's covenant? Don't we need to be reminded about God's purity and his holiness? Absolutely. So we can run to him and hold on to him and abide in him and remain in him because apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's go to number two. What was the accusation here? What was the accusation? Even to those he gave approval to, what was the accusation? Number two is this. The accusation, you tolerate sinful rebellion. You tolerate sinful rebellion. Now listen, I, 
This is difficult. As we look through the text, the scripture, as we, as we talk about tolerance, we live in a culture, in a world that says, you need to be tolerant. It preaches tolerate, 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 be tolerant, stop being intolerant all the time. And we buy into that. Do you know what Jesus says? Stop tolerating sinful rebellion. We are not to tolerate. Now, there's a big difference now. I want you to hear me on this. There is a big difference in, in what that looks like outside of the church. As you and I are in our community, we certainly are still called to not tolerate sinful rebellion. We don't, we don't say, oh, yeah, it's justified, it's good, we're okay with it. But it's also different here within the body of Christ. This was happening in their church. It wasn't just like these Christians were going out in the community and being weird and immoral. It, w- it had come into the church so much that there was a woman there saying, go for it. We as a church are just going to be this way. And people were saying, okay, we're tolerant. And then Jesus comes along and, and, and his accusation, right? It wasn't a commendation. It wasn't, way to be tolerant. That is not what the Son of God with fire out of his eyes and, and pure bronze said to this church. He said, you tolerate sinful rebellion. And you must not. You must not tolerate it. Let's see what it says. 20 and 20 through 23. But I have this against you. Even those who hold fast to Christ, who abide in him, who are producing a fruit from their lives, you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I, I gave her time to repent, Jesus says. But she, didn't, she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each according to your works. It's the Lord Jesus, right? And, and remember at the beginning of this time, we, we said we cared. It mattered what he thought. I think sometimes I live and sometimes you live in a way that says, does it really matter what does he, you know, he'll understand. He, he gets it. He knows the kind of pressures we're in. Well, it, he, it was good for them then, but today culture has changed. I would beg to differ. This Greek culture, this Roman culture was not unlike ours at all. And the Lord Jesus says, stop tolerating this. What were the two things he talked about? He said, it's idolatry and it's immorality. It's idolatry and it's immorality. So the worship of something else and elevation of something else instead of God and immorality. The sense it says, I'm going to let my flesh take over and do what feels right and do what, do what seems preferable to me. And whether that's from peer pressure because it e- it's easier to go along with it or because or, or it's my fleshly desires and I just want to feel that way and get that little endorphin rush. Immorality and idolatry are the things he says, you're tolerating this. You're tolerating this. It cannot be tolerated. It must not be tolerated. So despite their, their love and their faith and their servants, service, or despite their patient endurance, their growing faith, there was a problem in regard to their toleration of immorality and idolatry. 
Now, the Christians in this community, we talked about it early on, were part of these guilds, and, and as part of these, these guilds in the city, uh, they, they needed to pay homage to these lesser gods, right, and sacrifice them, and, and they were pagan gods. And the Christians who worked in these trades uh, were, were being persuaded to participate in these ritualistic festivals, honoring these gods, uh, sacrificing food and, and partaking in that food to idols. And it would include also sexual activity with, with each other and with temple prostitutes. And evidently what we see here is a woman in their midst who's calling herself a prophetess and proclaiming and saying, go ahead and participate. This is okay. This is right to do. Uh, we we want to love our community and be part of the community. And, and so let's, let's go for it. The Lord called her Jezebel, which is probably unlikely is her name, but gets the, from the reference in 1 Kings where we see Jezebel married King Ahab. By the way, who King Ahab broke away from the Davidic line in Israel. You see how, remember Jesus said, hey, I'm the line of David, I'm the son of God. I, this Davidic covenant's important. Kind of is poking at him again here, like, hey, this whole Jezebel thing was something broken away from King David and the line of King David. So he says, uh, you know, and Jezebel there influenced uh, not only the, the people of Israel, but King Ahab and then the people of Israel influenced them into corruption and into immorality and into idolatry. This is, this is what happened. So the Lord Jesus says, listen, you've got the Jezebel right there in your midst, encouraging you to the same things that were encouraged back in the day in 1 Kings. What's interesting, though, in, in all these churches, what we see about Jesus is he can see a fake. He can spot a fake. If you look back at the other letters, he says it in those ones. He's, he shows you and tells you. Uh, they say they are, but they aren't. This is a, someone who thinks she's a prophetess, but she's not. He can spot the flake. He, uh, the, the, flake the flake and the fake, right? He knows and sees all. He sees the adultery that comes from the heart. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. This adulterous church is spiritually adulterous where they should be honoring and, and loving and obeying Jesus, they're obeying their own whims and pleasures and going into the world and making the world their home. Listen, we, we live in the world. We are not of the world. This world is not our home. So I want us to think about a couple things as we, how does this apply to you and I today? There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of, we can go way deep into this, but we're going to keep it fairly brief. Fairly brief. As a whole, let's talk about it as a whole. Because he was talking to the church. Stop tolerating sinful rebellion. You're tolerating this. You're letting it come in. People say you should tolerate, so you do. Don't tolerate it, right? We tolerate, we allow, right? We decided uh, to, to let, let these things in. And what we're, we're doing is we're letting people challenge what God says about who we are and what he's created. So when we talk about idolatry, obviously it's all around, money's all around. Bigger, better is all around, right? And, and then the worship of creation or created things is all around. I would encourage you, and I was going to include it, but I didn't. Go read Romans 1 today, this afternoon. I mean, it gives you a good picture of this. Uh, but as a whole, um, we, we're, we're, we're struggling in, in the identity realm. Because if we are connected to and grafted to Christ, then our identity is to be in Christ. And, and here's what we have done as a culture. We have decided to make how we are who we are. Let me say that again because it's, it's really important we get this. 
we have decided as a culture, hopefully not as a church, we have decided to make how we are, right? How we are is how we behave, what we do, our actions, our thoughts, our insights, our beliefs, how we are. We've decided to make how we are and turn it into who we are. And, and it's all over, everywhere. Identity is what's at stake here, right? So when we talk about things like identity, uh, it's important for us to understand what the Lord Jesus, to whom we say it's important what he thinks and says, what he tells us. He says, you need to repent of this rebellion. This, this kind of immorality, sexual morality and idolatry is, is of Satan. It's a seed of Satan. We'll see in a few minutes. You need to repent of that and turn back to me and turn to be pure and holy. We need to be in Christ, right? And not, not something else. We need to be in Christ. That's our identity, is being found in Christ, abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ. We, we are to be new creations. We are not to be my own creation, what I want to identify as. So when we talk about this, we see it in gender identity. We see the world saying, listen, there are 747 genders. You tolerate it. And we see God say, no, I made them male and female. Male and female is what he made them. Is there confusion? Sure. Is there how people are? Absolutely. Is it actually who they are? No. Right? There, there's an identity we have in Christ, not in our own actions or in how we are. We see it not only in gender identity when God says there's male and female, but then we see it in sexual identity. Well, I'm just a sexual person and I should be able to to uh, have that with whoever I want and however many times I want, any way I want to. That was happening all over back in this time. And it happens today. Sexual identity is not just, well, they're not heterosexual, so it's a problem. You know, homosexuality is a sin. It's, it's fornication. It's, it's sex outside of the covenant of marriage. God says, I made them male and female, and a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and then the two shall be one flesh. He created us, male and female, that we would bond together with a spouse. And within that relationship, that covenant relationship with our spouse, then sexual activity and, and sexual intimacy would be at its peak and climax, experience the way exactly what God had intended to experience. But we, culture, has said, oh, tolerate it. Tolerate it in all kinds of other ways. And listen, you might, you might look yourself in the mirror and say, it's okay, it's okay, they're tolerant. Jesus understands. I, I was just made this way. The heart is deceitful and evil and beyond a cure. That's how we were made. That's what the fall has, has, has done to our heart. We can't trust that. We can trust Him. We can trust God's design. I guarantee you, as we do trust God's design, it will go well with you. You'll, you'll find a fullness and, and, and a, a peace that you'd never, ever known before because I'm standing in and operating within God's design. But when we operate outside of that, that there's a, a desire for peace, there's a desire for feeling, there's a desire for comfort, there's a desire for identity, but we chase it in all the wrong ways and we end up lacking and only wanting more. This is huge. Jesus is telling us we cannot tolerate that. So we have gender identity, and there's all kinds of these all across the board, but identity is the big issue. We have gender identity, we have sexual identity, we have human identity. What even qualifies as a human? 
right? A clump of cells inside of a womb apparently doesn't qualify as a human anymore. When Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the one with fire out of his eyes and pure bronze, who, who we care what he thinks and what he says, says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You, I knew you before that. And that is human life. Life that God breathed his life into and gave soul to. That is unique and special. We're not to tolerate and again, it looks different outside than it does inside because we have to be on guard within each other and for each other to not go into those types of identities and say, well, this is, this is you know, how I am and so now it's who I am. No, that's not true. That's how you're behaving, but that's not who you are. Who you are is to be a special, unique creation of God made new by faith in the Son of God. That's who you are or it's who you can be. But sin creeps in and, and, and I, in a crowd this size, I guarantee you that, that some of us here right now are feeling in our heart this conviction and this burden because you are dealing with your own sexual sin. You're dealing with your own immoral idolatry. And it's, it's here. And here's what I would tell you. If, if you're a brother or sister who knows that about a brother or sister, don't tolerate it, but go to them compassionately, graciously, lift them up. And if you are, you are all by yourself and you are feeling that in your heart and you are feeling that conviction in your heart, here's what I tell you individually. Don't tolerate the lie that Satan is trying to embed in your heart. There is freedom, there is hope in faith in Christ. There is forgiveness, there is healing. And, and I don't, whatever you've done, you've done. If you've had the abortion, if you've been a homosexual, if you've had sex outside of marriage, if you've decided that you were a girl but then you're a boy, and you, whatever, whatever you've done, you've done. But God can undo, and God can forgive, and God can redeem. And then we stand and hold on to Him because without Him, we can do and are nothing. We hold on to Him. He's so important for that. And, and God is gracious. We see this, this firm talk. We see this firm language about this Jezebel and this immorality, whether it be sexual or just immoral actions or idolatry. We see it. But then he says, even to Jezebel, who we think this is like the, the nemesis, right? This is the person who is, it, it, they're the evil one. They're probably Satan in, in women's clothes there at the church. He says, I gave her time to repent. So we don't know where that letter is. We, don't, we didn't see that. We don't know that. All we know is, I, I look, I gave her time to repent. But she does not want to repent. She does not want to repent. I, I want to ask a question here. And this is a question to help expose your heart and my heart. I had asked this question about my heart. When the Lord Jesus says, stop. When the Lord Jesus says, don't tolerate that. Don't behave like that. When the Lord Jesus is dealing with your heart or he's dealing with your heart through a brother or sister, here's the question. How do you respond? How do you respond? How do I respond when I am confronted about my sin? We see a story here in the scripture. We see a, a picture of this, right? The Lord Jesus gave her, Jezebel, this Jezebel, time to repent how did she respond? She said, no way, Jose. How dare you? How, how dare you assume that that's my intentions? Right, we do a lot of assuming apparently now. 
how do you respond? Does it, does it make you angry? Or does it make you humble and contrite or lowly in spirit? Does it make you more grateful when you're confronted about your sin that Jesus died to pay the penalty of that sin? Does it make you more zealous, more eager to turn away from sin that you would see in the future or be exposed to in the future? Does it make you feel like you need to be careful, more careful, not to be caught up in it? That, that's what I hope it would make us feel. That we would see Jesus and say, man, I, thank you so much. I'm so glad I have the opportunity to turn away from this and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That all the sin that I've committed or will be tempted to commit, Jesus went to the cross and bore that burden, bore that shame, bore that guilt for me so that I could be healed by his wounds. And I hope that when you and I are confronted in our sin by the Lord Jesus or by a brother or sister uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that you and I would not just be angry and resistant, but we would desire to repent. It's, it's when a person hears the news that God is holy and that we are not. And when a person responds in faith to what Christ has accomplished on the cross as he took the wrath of God that should have been on my shoulders and he placed it on Jesus. And when, he, when the person responds in faith and confesses that Jesus is Lord, then they are forgiven and saved. And you and I, my, my brothers and sisters, have experienced that. And we are called to now, in that growth and in that abiding and remaining in Christ, to not tolerate this kind of sin. Whether it be corporately, or whether it be just individually, within our very own hearts. And see, by refusing to repent, this is, this is what we see here. He says, I gave her time. She does not want to repent of her sexual morality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her. Now that's key here. Those who commit adultery with her is connected to the next line. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. So those who commit adultery with her, not just physically with her, but, but commit spiritual adultery, and go their own way and, and be how they are instead of actually be who they are in Christ. Those who commit spiritual adultery and choose not to repent of sin have identified themselves as her children. Right? That's what the text says. I will strike, then I will strike her children. If, if, if you and I are in that camp, that means we are not children of our Father in heaven. Th that should also wake the church up, right? If I'm unwilling to repent, and I'm willing to continue to align myself with immoral acts and idolatry and sexual immorality and whatever the culture tells me to tolerate, if I'm willing to do that, and Jesus says stop, and I'm unwilling to stop, what I am doing is aligning myself then as a child of the devil instead of a child of God. This, this came down in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned, and God said, this is no good. And he says, I will now put hostility, he's talking to the Satan, between you and the woman, and between her offspring and your offspring. Right? There's going to be children of God. And there's going to be children of Satan. And that is evident all around. He says, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Satan has no chance. My, my hope is I understand that and see that. So I, I do repent and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to side with the one who died for me, who 
gave himself for me, who, who is a refuge and sense a place of security for me, who gives me a new name and a new identity, and, and I can be found in him because apart from him I can do nothing. I want to be on that winning side and not to be under the other side who is under the fiery, fiery eyes of the Lord Jesus and his refined bronze coming at him. Isaiah 5, 20 to 23. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves as clever. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and are champions at pouring beer, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. Woe to those. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is saying. You are tolerating idolatry and immorality. You are t- you're t- what you're tolerating is the exchange of the truth of God for the lie. Woe to you and I. Woe to those who would do that. We see this in 1 John, this idea of being children. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Little children. Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Everyone who has been born of God does not sin or does not continue to sin, because his seed remains in him. This is what it is to be a child of God. We, we don't continue to practice sin. We don't, that's not how we live. We live for him who died for us. Everyone who has been born of God does not continue to, to, to practice sin uh, because his seed remains in him. God's seed remains in us. Uh, we are unable to continue practicing in sin because he, you and I, have, has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. And it was obvious in Thyatira. And, and we don't like that obviousness because we don't like being called children of the devil. Right? Anyone like that at all? No? Okay. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to be aligned with, with the devil. We don't want to say that we are. But when we start to move that direction, we become, like, enthused and excited about sinful things and Satan's things. But God says repent. He offers us the opportunity to repent. And those who repent are his children. Those who do not or not. Well, what does this mean for us? There's a deep accusation here. What does he say? What is the admonition? Number three. Repent. That's the first part. Repent. I gave her time to repent. I'm giving you time to repent. Repent. Stop tolerating that. So he go and, and he says this. So repent and hold on then as sons and daughters. Hold on as sons and daughters. Look at Revelation 2, 24 through 29. We'll finish it up. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting another burden on you. This is, this is great, right? Here's what Jesus says. I've already told you the burden. I've already told you that you are not to tolerate this. right? You're, you're, you're holding fast. You, you love me. You love others. You work. You serve. You're enduring. You're growing in your faith. Just stop tolerating this. No other burden on you. Only, only 
hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on. Hold on tight. Hold on firm. Listen, I, I know, you know, you've seen these cartoons or illustrations or movies where the, the guy's like hanging from a rope from a jet airplane, like trying to save his life, right? Like, I need to kind of get in this thing. Or you see that, remember the, I was going to call Air Force One, Harrison Ford was like president, and there's two planes, and he's trying to get between them. Like, like, can you imagine holding on for dear life? There are times I watch now as I've gotten older, I watch a scene, and like, this guy's on the side of a cliff just holding on, and I'm like, I would die. I would just die. I would slip, and I would die. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. He's lasted too long, right? We watch some of these American Ninja Warrior shows, like these competitions, or, or, and, and you see these guys who are trying to hold on, and they're, they're so strong. I'm like, I would, just, I would just come up to it, and I'd just jump in, right? I'd just jump in the water. I'm done. I know it's hard to hold on. I know it's time you feel like you're at, at 30,000 feet, and that's impossible, right? Maybe at 10,000 feet. Uh, hold on to a rope out of a plane, or you're on the side of uh, El Capitan in Yosemite, and you're like, I, there's no way. He said, just hold on, hold firm. It's going to feel that way. It's going to get breezy. It's going to get windy. It, it, the the, the gravity is going to seem to get, get stronger. All around us is going to continue to crumble and crumble and crumble. And look at us and say, why don't you tolerate this? You should be more tolerant about this. What does Jesus say? Just hold on. Remember who I am? I'm the Son of God, the begotten. I'm the God of God who came down and put on flesh. And I showed you how important you are to me. And I showed you how, how important it was for you to have eternal life through me by dying and rising again. I showed you. And, and, and you know, like when you came to faith in me, you, you, you remained in me. You got connected to me. You held on to me. And because apart from me, you could do nothing. You knew how deeply, deeply meaningful that is. He says, in the midst of all of it going on, and whatever comes our way, he says, just keep holding on. Who else do you want to hold on to? What else do you want to hold on to? Do you want to just make it a little easy on you and just go do whatever you want and jump in? No, hold on. Because apart from him, you can do nothing, and I can do nothing. He says, the one who conquers. He's that one that holds on and says, he's everything. I trust in him, the one who conquers uh, and who keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations. This next part of this passage is all about sonship and daughtership. It's all about you and I being part of God's family and, and receiving the inheritance as such. I'll give him authority over the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He will uh, shatter them like pottery. Just as I, the Lord Jesus, have received from the Father, I will also give him the morning star. He's like, listen, I'm going to conquer, and because I conquer, you conquer if you hold on to me. Last verse. This is for you and I again, going back to the report card, holding on and saying, it, 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 I'm squirming because it matters what my parents think. So for you and I as the church, as individual Christians who say, it matters what the Lord Jesus says, then here's his final charge to you and me. Let anyone who has ears to hear, then listen. If it matters what he says, then listen to what the Spirit says says to the churches listen take heed of it repent and hold on as sons and daughters paul writes in romans i'm not ashamed of the gospel this is this is the the passage two verses right before this big thing i want you to read in romans later but 16 and 17 in romans 1 paul says i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of god for salvation 
to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, right? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know what that says? Hold on. Hold on. Live by faith. You may not feel it at times. You may not see it at times. You may not understand it at times. It doesn't call for that. It calls for you and I to hold on and trust in the one who does know and the one who gave himself for us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray and enter our time of worship? Lord Jesus, as, as we pause right now, God, I just I pray that you would help quiet every heart. God, this is, this is such a profound call, profound truth for us to get. God, we grapple with, with all types of sin and idolatry and immorality all around us. But God, you called us not to tolerate it. God, help us not be just tolerant. God, we, we certainly want to love and have compassion and build relationships and rapport with people, but God, help us not call evil good. And God, if we have, I pray you draw us into a place of true repentance. God, you've called us to repent. You've given us time to repent. And God, what we know is that through repentant faith in you, we are called sons and daughters. Help us embrace you, God, as the God and Father that you are as the one that forgives and, God, the one that heals and makes all things new. May our identity be in you and not in something else, not in the hows we are, but, God, in, in Christ, who makes all things new. Help us now as we respond to you and worship, Father, that it would be from the depths of our heart that we would, we would sing these songs to you and, God, we would sing these songs to our heart and we'd sing these songs to one another. And God, that your grace would well up inside of us, your mercy would well up inside of us, and God, we, we would be your sons and your daughters. God, we want to be the, the people and the church that you have called us to be. Help us. This we pray in Jesus' name.